Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. In India, uh, Brother Chuck has been here uh, several times, and uh, we just uh, do this so we can keep the names of our missionaries before us and maybe uh, help you uh, pray for them. Amen. And I'm sure they appreciate that. Brother Chuck Akers, uh, if you've never met him, you'll probably never met, never meet a missionary with a greater heart and passion for souls. Uh, I think all the missionaries we support uh, have just that. And Brother Brother. Uh, Acres is a fine example of uh, a passion for souls. And so remember them this week. Uh, also, from our missions department here this year already, we are, uh, we are helping out in the Philippines. Uh, one of the churches there in uh, Isabella Fugo, Philippines, uh, they need an ad- addition to the church. And how many know that's a good sign? And so uh, we are sponsoring that new addition uh, to the church there. And then they had another church that was damaged by a recent typhoon um, over there in the Philippines. So we are sponsoring uh, the, uh, the repairs uh, of that roof and uh, ceiling there in the Philippines to another church. So I appreciate your giving, and I wanted to share that with you so you know. Uh, your, uh, your giving to missions not only supports the missionaries, but the actual churches there that uh, are reaching souls. And how many know that's always a, a really good thing? We never take for granted the work they are doing there. Let's stand together. Praise the Lord. How many had a good week this week? I trust you did. And uh, so good to see a few visitors here this morning. So let's just take a moment and reach across the aisle and shake a hand or two if you're comfortable with that. Uh, Shaking hands and greeting folks and give them a smile. Let them know it's good to have them join us today. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We love people and we love the fact that you have... uh, decided to be with us this morning there's many many places you could have been and you're with us so thank you may God bless you praise the Lord some's come back we haven't seen in a while we're glad you're back amen praise the Lord thank you musicians tonight's service is at 6 30 we will just uh, uh, we like to call it 2020 prayer meeting we like to have 20 people in the prayer room for 20 minutes before service, and so we try to join in there uh, at 6 o'clock and then come out here for the evening service and just never know what God is going to do. Uh, last couple Sundays, the Lord has been with us in a special way. I've felt his presence. I trust you have as well, and uh, he's going to do it again. Praise the Lord. So uh, I really... Uh, I read something from another minister that inspired me, and so I, I, uh, I want to share this thought, Hebrews chapter 8 and verses 7 through 12, Hebrews chapter 8, 7 through 12 this morning. Last Sunday, we finished a series. It was a New Year's uh, series, and so today, this is, uh, this is a sermon I just feel 
uh, inspired and Lord, uh, Lord laid on my heart to share with you. So uh, we're going to be reading from the book of Hebrews. I don't know about you, but if you've done a lot of study in the book of Hebrews, it is a powerfully uh, enriching book, uh, introducing the better covenant, really, is its theme, the new covenant that Christ initiated. Um, and so uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verses 7 through 12 um, we're going to share as a text together, and we'll refer to maybe a few other verses as we go. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 7 through 12. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a, say it with me, new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they continued not in my covenant and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. And this is what he says, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying know the Lord for all shall know me. Notice that all shall know me from the least to the greatest for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more that's powerful right there their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more why don't you thank the Lord for that aren't you glad for his mercy father thank you for forgiveness Thank you for your mercy and your blessings to your children. Speak to us, Lord, from this passage. We'll give you all the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. 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 God bless you. You can be seated. Praise the Lord. The blessings of a new covenant. The blessings of a new covenant. Now, before we get into talking about this covenant, let me just build some framework here. Um, how many of you remember hearing mom tell you that you need to wear a hat in the winter? Because, she said, you lose 50% of your body heat out your head. How many remember that? Now, nobody wants to argue with mom. Right? After all, she did bring us into this world. After all, she is correct that wearing a hat in the winter is a healthy habit. However, 
Mom's math regarding the heat loss part, a little bit off. I'm sorry, I don't mean to make any moms mad, right? But according to medical studies, the actual percentage of heat loss out our head is about 10%, not 50. Which really, when you look at it, it makes sense since that our head is only about 10% of our body's total surface area. So to lose 50% of your body heat out your head, they said your head would have to be the size of a beach ball. <laughs> so, that's one statistic uh, we no longer have to believe as far as the percentage. But how many, how many has learned that there's a lot of false statistics? There's a lot of them uh, even in advertising. I, I, uh, I know, for example, Colgate, Colgate toothpaste was forced to withdraw an ad which claimed 80% of all dentists recommend Colgate. The ad, according to government regulators, was misleading because most people would interpret that ad as saying 80% of all dentists recommend Colgate above other brands, 20% recommend other brands. But upon investigation, the truth was 80% of dentists say Colgate is fine but the same percentage recommend every other brand of toothpaste as being okay for your teeth as well. So that stat was debunked as misleading. Now, final, another stat that's among some of the most common here in America is this one. Have you heard it? 50% of all marriages end in divorce. You heard that? And that's super discouraging. When young people hear that, they, you know, rightfully conclude, why bother getting married then? My chance of staying married is no, if it's no better than a coin toss, I, I have a one out of two chance of getting divorced. But the truth is, the average couple who gets married has a 75% chance of staying married. In other words, people only have a one out of four chance of getting divorced, not a one out of two. So, so you say, well, where do we get this inflated statistic of 50% of all marriages end in divorce? The reason is because the chance of divorce is not the same for all couples. Some people frequently marry and frequently divorce. Three, four times, five times, even six times. So the frequent flyers, they pump up that total number of divorces. So but the typical married person has a 75% chance of staying married. But on top of the divorce statistic, lots of people who are in love fear making a commitment. We know that. 
for other reasons. We live in a culture of maybe I do instead of a clear I do. We live in a culture of I do as long as we both shall love. Not I do as long as we both shall live. And we like to keep our options open. Uh, We like to make in our culture half-hearted commitments. And many are not willing to do whatever it takes to make their marriage work. So you say, what's it take to make a marriage last? At the heart of biblical marriage is the idea of a covenant. Everybody say covenant. Now, the word covenant in Hebrew comes from a word that means to fetter, to restrain, to bind. So let me give you a picture of this from uh, maybe Grecian history. How many of you read or at least were supposed to read the Greek epic story called the Odyssey by Homer back was you, when you were in high school? I think that's about the time. For those of you who read the Odyssey or don't remember anything from high school, the Odyssey is a story about a Greek hero, Odysseus, and his journey home after he had fought in the Trojan War. Odysseus was warned through a prophecy about a couple danger areas along the route home. One of the dangers was that they would sail by an island inhabited by what was called the Sirens. Now the Sirens were monsters who disguised themselves as beautiful women with amazing singing voices. And they try to allure soldiers that pass by their island, claiming that they just want to entertain them with their beautiful melodies, when in reality their motive was to take their lives. So the advice given to Odysseus is that he ought to have the men on his ship fill their ears with wax so they don't hear the sirens' seductive songs. While Odysseus decides to have all the sailors on his ship fill their ears with wax, Odysseus himself wants to hear the songs and still survive. So, what does he do? Anybody remember? He orders the sailors to tie him firmly to their ship's mast. When he is firmly tied there and his men have the wax in their ears, they row their ship alongside the island. If you can bring up that picture on the screens. Odysseus hears the sirens 
he hears their beautiful song and wants to throw himself overboard and swim to the island to be with them. But the ropes. Everybody say, but the ropes. That have him bound to the ship's mast are holding him firmly. The men row past the island. Everyone is kept safe. Church, this is the picture of a covenant in the Hebrew context. When a person makes a covenant, they make a decision to tie themselves to the mast because they know that there will come times that they will be tempted to jump ship. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But because they are tied to the ship's mast, they can't. So, some say, why do we get married after all? We, we love one another. Who needs a piece of paper? But a marriage covenant is more than a piece of paper. A marriage covenant ties people to the ship's mast. Right? And when we're at a low point and love doesn't feel like it can last, our marriage covenant keeps us from jumping ship. And this illustration sets the framework for what I want to speak about this morning. You can transition back to the uh, cover slide. Because sometimes in Scripture, it's challenging to connect all the dots throughout the, the Bible because it's not just one book. It's 66 books. 39 in the old, 27 in the new. So we must ask, what are the connecting threads and what are the major themes that tie the storyline of, of the entire Bible together? Well, the big connecting theme that holds this Bible together it's not the marriage covenant, but it's the covenant between God and his people. You see, there are many ways to describe the relationship that God has with us. God is uh, our friend. Uh, God is our father. God is our teacher. He is our Lord and Savior. And, but often the God of the Bible is described as our covenant partner. And as I said earlier, the word covenant comes from that word meaning to restrain, to bind, to fetter. And by covenant, we're talking about a relationship between two parties where each party binds themselves to perform some service or some duty for the other party. Now, in the Old Testament, okay, there's four covenants, binding agreements that God makes with, with people that hold the story of the Old Testament together, okay? And I want to quickly go through these four. How many? Four covenants, and, and then we'll speak about their application in conclusion. Now, typically, the way a covenant works is God makes certain binding promises to a person or group of people, and then in return, he asks for certain commitments back from them. Everybody follow that? So, the first covenant that we see is God's covenant with Noah. 
Now, you know the story of Noah, probably most of you, if you've been to Sunday school very much. The Lord said to Noah, there's going to be a floody, floody. Get those children out of the muddy, muddy. Right? So Noah built an arky, arky. Out of hickory, barky, barky. Children of the Lord. Remember that little song? Okay, so, so he does that. They board the ark. They're safe. We read of this post-flood covenant in Genesis 9, 8 through 11. It says, God spoke unto Noah, to his sons, saying, I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you and with every living creature that is with you, the fowl, the cattle, every beast of the earth, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth, and he goes on to say how he will never, somebody say never, he'll never flood the earth again with water. Okay? So this is a unique covenant in the Old Testament because here in this one, God doesn't ask for any commitment in return from Noah. Okay? God simply promises Noah after the flood that the earth will be a reliable place in which to live out human relationships with him. We don't have to fear any longer that the Lord is going to judge the earth with another flood because of humanity's sin, because of that covenant, right? That's covenant number one. Covenant number two. So God makes the second covenant with a man by the name of Abraham. In this covenant, God promises Abraham that he will have many descendants and be the father of many nations. And God promises to give the land of Canaan to Abraham's descendants and to be their God. And in return, God says to Abraham and his descendants that I want, some, I want certain things from you guys. Number one, I want you to trust me. I want you to do what is right and just. I want... Uh, you to circumcise every male born as a sign of your radical commitment to me. And, and so we have God's covenant with Noah. Secondly, we have God's covenant with Abraham. But then we read about a third covenant. A third covenant in the Old Testament is God's covenant through Moses. In this covenant... Uh, made through Moses at Mount Sinai, God rescues the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. He promises to bless them, make them a special nation who will represent God to the rest of the world. God says, I'm going to make you a light to the nations. But in order to represent God to the rest of the world, God asks for a commitment back from the Israelites. Here is what Moses basically said about that commitment in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. He said, basically, Israel, you're going to stand out among every nation as the wisest, most blessed nation on earth. But in order for this to happen, you need to obey all the commandments of the Lord. Right? Because if you don't, Israelites, you're going to look like everybody else. You're just going to be like all the other nations. The only thing that will distinguish you from anyone else on the face of the earth, the thing that will show the world God's wisdom and God's justice and God's beauty is if you obey the commandments of God 
and do what God has told us to do. So we have God's covenant with Noah, God's covenant with Abraham. Thirdly, God's covenant through Moses. And then fourth and finally, in the Old Testament, we have God's covenant with King David. In the covenant with King David, God promises that one of King David's descendants will have an eternal kingdom stretching all over creation. In return, God asks King David and his descendants to lead the nation of Israel, to obey God's laws, represent God to the world. And God says, in effect, I will give David an eternal kingdom. It's going to stretch out over the whole world, but in return, I'm going to ask him to lead the nation in obedience to me. Now, as we read the Old Testament, we find a tragic story that is repeated over and over and over again. Even though God is faithful to his side of the four covenants, Israel, everybody say Israel, or mankind can't obey God's commands. And they don't do a very good job of representing God to the world. So, the prophets, especially ones like Jeremiah, ones like Ezekiel, they prophesy that a coming of a coming day when God will make a new what? Covenant with his people. Okay, all these wonderful promises God made in the past, promises to Noah, promises to Abraham, Moses, David, are meant to be like signs along the highway pointing ahead to Christ, the new covenant. Okay, you remember what Christ said at the Last Supper when he held the cup of the fruit of the vine. He looked at his disciples and uh, spoke some words that we share probably every time we share communion together. Christ said, this cup is the new what? In the KJV, it uses the word testament. New testament, but it's a.k.a. covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood. Christ was saying, I come to fulfill all the covenants that you guys couldn't keep. I have come to fulfill all the covenants that you have broken. Christ is saying, as the God-man, I fulfill in my own person both sides of the covenant between God and man. I uphold God's promises, and I can uphold man's commitments back. I am establishing a new covenant that cannot be broken. Oh, somebody ought to say, thank you, Lord, for the new covenant. So what does this new covenant achieve through Christ's perfect life, his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection for us? Our text displays that the new covenant is not just new in time. Or more recent, it's new in nature. It's new in kind. And how is this new covenant radically different than all the covenants we looked at previously through the Old Testament? The prophecy that's quoted here in Hebrews comes from the book of Jeremiah. 
it mentions three ways that this new covenant is different, radically different from all the others. The first way that it is different is that it overcomes the fatal flaw of the old covenant, and that is the failure on the human part, uh, human beings to fulfill their side. Here's what we read in Hebrews 8 9. Because they continued not in my covenant, I regarded them not, saith the Lord. The problem with all the covenants in the past was not on God's side. Nothing was wrong with the old covenant on God's side. The problem was on our human side. Okay, the old covenant was like trying to pour water into a paper bag. We leaked. Okay, or putting a cement block on top of a a, a teacup. It's going to crack, right? Because of sin, human beings could not keep these Old Testament covenants. God overcomes this fatal flaw in us by changing our hearts through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And instead of being commanded to simply obey external laws, God himself comes. He said, I'm going to come and I'm going to dwell inside of them. Oh, hallelujah. His spirit creates the desire in us to obey him and love him. He, what he's doing now is he's changing our hearts. He changes what we are like. So we want to do what God has asked us to do. See, the Christian life, church, under the new covenant is, is God wants this thing for us, for me. And you know what? I have a desire that I want to do what he wants me to do. You see, as we grow as believers, we more and more want what God wants for us. Okay? Secondly, the new covenant consists of a personal experience with God for everyone. Not just for kings. Not just for the priests. Not just for the leaders in Israel. But for every one of us. Under the new covenant, the apostle Peter says, we are all kings and priests unto God. We're a hand-selected royal generation. Praise God. And so you can have a personal relationship with Christ. Right? I mean, no, you don't have to come to pastor. Pastor can counsel you. But you don't have to pray through pastor to get to God. Jesus is the mediator. I said Jesus has become the mediator. So thirdly and finally, the new covenant is new in the sense that real, authentic forgiveness is now made possible and can actually take place. We don't have a bunch of ceremonies, sacrifices, and religion trying to deal with our mistakes and sins. The old covenant sacrifices just kept the interest paid on the sin debt of mankind until Christ came paying off the total balance of the principle. Okay, under this new covenant, real, authentic forgiveness can take place for everyone. Oh, that's good news. God says, I will forgive their sins and will remember them against them no more. 
By forgiveness, we are saying to God, please don't remember my sins. Don't recall or don't throw my sins up in my face on the day of judgment. But instead, I'm asking you, Lord, remember other things, not my sins. Remember your son's prayer when he hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. Remember the bloody sacrifice of your son as the full payment for my sin. Remember why you sent your son in the first place, Father to seek and to save those who were lost. Remember, Lord, that you poured out your wrath on your son so that your justice is satisfied and I don't have to undergo the wrath of God. Remember your son's obedience and suffering and death. Remember your degree of justification when, when I put my faith in your son. Remember the new covenant. That was established through the blood of your son. Remember your promise to remember my sins and my iniquities no more. So as I conclude, listen. I started with the illustration from Homer's epic, the Odyssey, to describe what a covenant is like. I described it as being bound to the what? Bound to the mast so you stay committed even when you're tempted to jump ship and break your commitments. But the new covenant promises us more than the strength of our own human devices. Our victory in the new covenant, our triumph in the new covenant is found in the strength we draw from Jesus Christ. Praise God. How many has felt the strength of Jesus this very week? Now, some of us can be pretty strong. Some of us has gone through some pretty crazy things. But if you live for Christ long enough, and you fight the devil long enough, you're going to find you need a resource. I said you need a resource for strength. And the new covenant says, I can do all things through Christ who is my strength. Oh, raise your hands and praise Him. Praise God. Turn to your neighbor and say, my strength comes from the Lord. Some time ago, a video circulated online of a Christian family in their home in Ukraine during this devastating war. Outside the home, fighting, bombs were dropping. But inside, I believe it was dad, mom, grandma, and teenage children were all singing that great Christian hymn. He will hold me fast. They were singing it in Ukrainian. But in our English it says, He will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Those He saves are His delight. Christ will hold me fast, precious in His sight. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by Him at such a cost, He will hold me fast. How many has been held by the Lord? Oh, come on, rejoice a little bit, church. <laughs> it was nothing I could do. It was He held on to me. 
I said, I couldn't do it by myself. He was my security. He was the anchor for my soul. Hebrews 6.19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, sure and steadfast, and which entereth in within behind the veil. Listen, Christ is our anchor. He is our foundation when our culture and our world seems like it's spinning out of control. God has made this new covenant with us. And how many know that new covenant has a name? Somebody shout the name of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Say it one more time. Jesus. I said the new covenant has a name. And His name is Jesus. Oh, somebody celebrate Jesus right now. Listen, men, we break our covenants. But Christ will never break His. He's a promise-making, promise-keeping God. New covenant is a covenant of grace, not of guilt. We who have trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior have entered that new covenant. Sister Jones, you can come. I'm closing. This new covenant is based on Christ's accomplishment, not ours. Oh, somebody ought to stand with me right here. At the cross... Somebody say it was at the cross. You can go ahead and stand. You're a little gun shy. (laughs) At the cross, Christ took our sin. I said he took my sin. He took the sin of Matt Jones. Hallelujah. And here's the best part. He not only took my sin, but he gave me something in exchange. It was his righteousness oh hallelujah I said he took my sin and gave me his righteousness he took our death and offers us eternal life he took our separation from the father and calls us sons hallelujah I've been adopted into the family praise God so you say well what's our part trust him I said, trust Him. Trust in Christ alone. He's the mediator of the new covenant. And when we trust in Him, know this, God will never break His covenant with us. That's the blessing of living under this new covenant. Aren't you going to raise your hands? Why don't you just take a moment? Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you for the new covenant of grace. Thank you for the blessings of living under the new covenant. Thank you, Jesus. Now here, as we close, maybe you are not experiencing the blessings of the new covenant because you have not embraced the new covenant. The new covenant was built on the cross the death of Jesus Christ the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his soon coming return hallelujah so all you gotta do Father here today if there is someone under the sound of my voice 
who's not a partaker of this new covenant, I feel your presence. I'm asking you, give within them an internal desire. God, to be partners with you, with Christ. Make that commitment today. Make that commitment to Christ today. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I'm going to tie myself to Christ. Yes, there will be times, there will be storms when I will be tempted to leave and walk away. But God, I'm going to tie myself to Christ. Tie myself to His cross. And Lord, I'm going to trust You to be my Savior for the rest of 